we are going to be talking about what it means for us to have an irresistible faith, one that shows to the world around us what the love of Jesus can do in our lives, and especially right now, we are talking about what it means for our faith as a community to shine the light of Jesus to those around us. Carrie kicked this off last week and was sharing that it matters that we belong to one another, that we speak good words of benediction to one another, words of kindness and belonging. I have the privilege this week of taking the next step with all of us to say that yes, we need to speak kindness and generosity to one another, and we also need to be willing to say the hard stuff to each other, to speak words of truth in love, but to go into places to help one another grow. It's gonna be great. I wrestled with this sermon series and especially with this topic quite a bit because if we're honest, we don't, I don't love going into social situations and getting into the uncomfortable stuff that happens when we speak truth. I, I think many of us actually avoid it. A few weeks ago, I was with some friends over at People's Organic at the Galleria and I ordered a kale salad. It was great. I went to my car after our really lovely lunch and I looked in the mirror in my car, there was so much truth going on that could have been spoken to me that was hanging in my teeth. (laughs) And they didn't go there, (laughs) they didn't go there. And then I asked myself if I would have gone there, can I take a poll? If you were at lunch with a friend, you saw something in their teeth, would you speak up? Yes, we have some truth tellers. How many of you would have backed away slowly? (laughs) I probably would have. (laughs) This, this is uncomfortable territory that we get into, but as a church, we are called to step into places of truth-telling. Scott Sauls frames it this way by saying that while Jesus invites us to come as we are, he does not want us to stay as we are. And if we're going to grow, we need to be willing to speak words of truth to each other. We are not the first church who is called to do this act of truth-telling. Actually, if we go all the way back to Jesus's first followers, they were a small group of people who were in some hard situations where truth had to be spoken. So Jesus, who was Jewish, had predominantly Jewish followers in the early church. And so they lived and practiced and worshiped in a specific way. They practiced circumcision and they had dietary restrictions and their prayers looked a certain way. And so as they were called in the Great Commission to spread the gospel to all the nations, they had to think about what it meant for them to include Gentile, non-Jewish people into the church. People who weren't practicing circumcision and didn't have these dietary restrictions. And the question was, how can we worship all together? This is a big question for a fragile and small group to approach. And so the way that they handled it is that about 15 years or so after Jesus died on the cross, in the year 48, the earliest Jesus followers, the leaders of those groups, got together in Jerusalem at a place called the Jerusalem Council. And you can read about this in Acts 15 if you're interested. Um, But they got together, and this was the question on the table was, how do Jews and Gentiles worship together when so much of what worship looks like is different? And so they asked the question, do Gentiles need to practice the dietary restrictions and circumcision? And after a lot of conversation and a lot of opinions, they decided that that Gentiles did not need to practice those things in order to worship alongside Jews and follow Jesus. This was a hard place for them to be. 
They needed to be able to speak truth to one another and to forge together in order to grow the church. And I share all of this because as we step into our passage for today, this is the framework for the truth that was spoken. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul is writing, and this was recorded about three years after that Jerusalem council. It would have been widely known that Gentiles didn't need to be circumcised or follow dietary restrictions. And so these leaders needed to be sticking true to their faith, and when that didn't happen, some truth-telling took place. This is Paul writing in Galatians 2, verses 11 through 14. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't meet with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. And as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So Paul and Peter, both people who were at that Jerusalem council, both people who knew what was right, encounter Gentiles, and Peter is sitting and eating with Gentiles and doing what he knows is right, and then a group comes along who disagreed with the decision that had been made at the council. They thought that those Gentiles needed to be circumcised and following dietary restrictions, and instead of sticking true to his word and his faith, Peter pretended like he wasn't with them. He abandoned it. This church was not one that could handle hypocrisy. It was small and fragile and growing, and so a little bit of hypocrisy could have gone a long way, and we know that Peter was even leading other leaders of the movement astray. So Paul became a truth teller. Paul stepped into a hard place and had a hard conversation with Peter. Uh, Scott Sauls in his book frames this type of truth telling as performing soul surgery on one another. That's actually the title of the chapter for this week. Performing soul surgery on one another. And as I wrestled with that analogy, I realized that surgery makes a whole lot of sense in comparison to truth-telling because both are pretty painful and uncomfortable. Both have to be done really, really carefully. And the motivation behind truth-telling and behind surgery just has to be for healing. I think when, when we process this idea of truth-telling, most of us in here probably fall somewhere on a very broad spectrum. On the one end, we have people who love to share their truth, who are willing to share their truth, maybe regardless of the context, whether it's appropriate or not, or how much they've researched it, but they're willing to put it out there. I remember when I was uh, down in Nashville for seminary, I was walking down the street one day, and there was a guy with a sandwich board on him, and it said, God hates you if, da-da-da-da-da, whole list of things. And he was very confident that his truth was right, and he didn't care who was walking by. He wanted everyone to know. Outside of relational context, he decided that that was the way that he was going to communicate his truth. And what I want to say today is that there are different ways for us to share truth. The way that Scott Sauls frames it is that there's truth-telling that happens with a scalpel. Have you seen a scalpel? It's a teeny, teeny, tiny blade. And when performing surgeries for healing, we use scalpels because they're small and they're sharp, meaning that it can heal quickly. We don't want to do a lot of damage. We just want to help make the person a little bit better. He said that others, 
when we're wearing sandwich boards, when we're going aggressively into truth-telling, others can use swords, not scalpels. A sword is a much different thing than a scalpel. If we come at each other with swords, healing is not the goal. We're trying to cut each other down and cause harm and destruction. And so truth-telling can happen in these different ways. And some of you in this room, as I'm talking about swords and scalpels and soul surgery, you're going, I don't want either. (laughs) Can I please just sit back and let other people be? And I have to tell you, I, I get it. I'm kind of in that camp too. It can be really hard for us to confront one another. And especially if we don't know if our feedback is accurate or desired, we just don't want to go there. What Scott Sauls says about this peacemaking tendency that many of us have, he said that none of us wants to run around telling other people what's wrong with them. But it is a mistake to think that never offering a critique, especially a humble one, is the most loving way to be a friend. In fact, sometimes love requires that we stand up and in humble boldness speak hard words to those that we love. We are called into the ministry of helping one another grow, and we have to do this in careful and helpful and loving ways. I have become convinced that the best way to encourage healthy truth-telling is to cultivate a community of people who can receive the truth, truth receivers. This takes a certain type of humility, but if we cultivate a group who is willing to recognize that we don't have it all together, that we're showing up just as we are and that there is still room for us to grow, then we'll be able to accept the truth that other people see in our lives. We may even be able to admit that there are often blind spots that we just can't even see, but that others can. I, I have a friend who has this thing with her eyes where she can look out of one eye or out of the other, but she struggles to pull both of them together at the same time. And for the most part, it's not that big of an issue, but she called me one day and said that she had kind of embarrassed herself because as she was leaving the airport, she put on her sunglasses, she's walking to her car, and she noticed that there were people who were kind of waving and like kind of smiling at her, and she just, she didn't know if she maybe knew them but didn't recognize them, so she gets all the way back to her car at the airport and realizes that she had been walking like this. She was missing an entire sunglasses lens because she was looking out of this eye and not out of this one. (laughs) She she shared this with me and I told her, you you need to know that I'm going to be using this for a while because I think many of us, many of us live our lives this way and especially our spiritual lives where we are looking out of one eye and there's a whole lot of stuff going on that we just don't see. Those are the places where we especially need each other where we need to be able to receive the truth from others that they're able to see that can be really hard for us to see. I think actually some of the most pertinent sins that creep up in our lives are ones that can hide in our blind spots easily. Sins like uh, pride and self-righteousness, so often those can get in the way of, of us following after where God is calling us, but it sometimes takes other people to be able to see that in us. It can hide in our blind spot. Relationally, interpersonally, anger, resentment, things like that can hide in those blind spots, but other people can often see them and say, there's more going on here that you need to evaluate. 
We must have other people who can speak that type of truth in our lives, but if we're going to, it takes a certain type of humility. When we're using this analogy of soul surgery, I think many of us would rather be the ones with the scalpels in our hands and not the ones laying on the operating table. (laughs) But God calls us to be willing to allow ourselves with people we trust to, to accept what they have, to let them perform soul surgery on us so that we can become healthier, that we can shine the light of Christ in greater and newer ways. God calls us to this, and, and Scott Sauls frames this hesitation that we often have by saying that just as our cowardice may prevent us from offering correction, so our pride may prevent us from receiving it. We are meant to step back and allow others to speak truth in our lives. In that Galatians 2 encounter that we read between Paul and Peter, we don't actually get to know how Peter responded. The text just doesn't tell us what he did. And so in the midst of not really knowing whether he got angry with Paul or whether he responded kindly, what we can do is look at the broader arc of Peter's ministry. So Galatians was written in the year 51. This encounter happened sometime before then. Peter wasn't martyred, according to church history, until the year 65. He had a solid 14, 15 years ahead of him of ministering and of spreading the gospel. Paul's words to Peter did not come at him with a sword. It didn't cut him down. It didn't stop him from doing what he was called to do. Those words of truth were a scalpel that called him out in the midst of hypocrisy, but allowed him to continue to spread the gospel, allowed him to continue to help grow this church and get this movement going. If we are going to be people who in love speak truth to one another, if we're going to be healthy truth tellers and truth receivers, we need to consider three things, especially well before we enter into it. The first thing is the relationship that we have with that person. The second is that we need to ask, what's at risk? What's at stake? And the third is the result. The relationship is so crucial when we think about truth-telling with one another. And I think often it's easy to think that the person who's telling the truth, the one giving the feedback, they're the ones in power because they're the ones who have the information and the criticism. Sheila Heen, who's a professor at Harvard Law School, she gave a TED Talk that I highly recommend on feedback. And she says that in any exchange of feedback, it's the receiver who's in control. It's a new framework for thinking about truth-telling because the receiver is going to be the one who decides to ignore it, to throw your criticism out the window, or to implement it into their lives. They're going to decide whether they talk to you again They're they're the ones who decide how your relationship progresses. And so in thinking about speaking the truth, we need to know who that receiver is and to give them the power that they really do hold. It is only in humility that we can speak the truth to one another. Truth-telling and truth-receiving also happens best between believers who are committed to growing spiritually and relationally. The reason why the Paul and Peter encounter was able to happen and was able to be healthy is because both of them were playing by the same rules. They both were hoping that this church would grow and they were following Jesus. And because they were first and foremost committed to their faith, they could speak truth to each other on the same level. 
When we think about giving truth to one another, we need to ask whether that person in that relationship has the same goals in mind. Are they playing by the same rules? If we, out of our faith, speak truth to others who are not following Jesus, it may not go well because they may not have the same rules, the same heart in mind. The next thing is that truth-telling and truth-receiving also has to happen in a safe and loving relationship. Last week, Carrie shared with us that her small group is one of those safe havens for her. She and these other women show up and are able to be really, really honest with each other in a beautiful way. I've heard stories of other small groups who have given each other verbal permission to do this soul surgery type stuff on each other. They've said that they've been meeting long enough, they know and love each other well enough that when they come together, they can speak truth about the great stuff that they see God doing in each other's lives, but they have given each other permission to say, if you see something in my blind spot, please call it out. Please tell me, because I love you and trust you enough to know that you may have some truth that needs to be shared with me. If you have anyone in your life who you have that kind of relationship with, I encourage you to to have someone who you can say, give me that feedback. Give me the truth that you see in my life, because when you do that, we can enter into really healthy truth-telling and truth-receiving that helps both of us grow. The next thing that we need to consider is the risk. We have to ask what's at stake when we're speaking the truth to one another. I think in some situations, they're pretty low risk. There's not a lot on the line. And then in other situations, it's pretty high risk. If you just think for a second about the people in your life who, if you had to today, go and speak truth to them. If you just knew something that you were going to share. Who is it in your life that you kind of know the most about? probably spouses or, or parents or kids or family members because so often the, the truth that we know about each other happens when our lives are really close to each other. And likely your family members, the ones you're closest to, would be the ones to say, yeah, I got some stuff that I could share about them. <laughs> truth telling can happen in these types of settings in really healthy ways and helpful ways, but also sometimes it's pretty low stakes. I had a situation a few months ago where my husband was um, folding laundry. It was great. He's folding laundry, and he starts to fold a shirt, and and I know the right way to fold a shirt. (laughs) I watched Marie Kondo. I know how to fold a shirt. And, And I thought to myself, do I need to share this piece of feedback? I did. Should I have? I don't know. (laughs) It's worth asking. It's worth asking. Those are low stakes enough questions that we actually need to wonder. Are we trying to speak truth for the health and growth of this person, or are we trying to conform them into what we want them to be? That kind of stuff is worth us asking when we enter into this truth-telling business. The other side of that same coin is that some situations are so high stakes when ethical stuff is being breached when people are either causing harm to themselves or harm to others, where that feedback and that truth doesn't even need to go straight to them, it may need to go to authorities who are above them who can intercede. And as Christians, as believers, as human beings, we are called to speak truth in any of those situations to the right people to ensure that health and healing and wholeness can happen. The last thing that we have to consider when we are truth-telling is the result. What is our heart in it? What is our hope for it? If we are going to be truth tellers and truth receivers, we must always, 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 always be focused on healing. 
Four chapters after Paul and Peter have their encounter in Galatians 2, Paul writes in Galatians 6, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This law of Christ is to love God and to love one another as we love ourselves. And so it is out of that deep love that we are meant to be calling one another out and doing this truth speaking. And in doing it, we're actually helping carry their burden. We're getting up underneath that burden with them and saying, I will walk with you through this. And we're supposed to do this in a spirit of gentleness. Truth-telling, I I think it's hard for us to think about it in in the framework of gentleness, but it is in gentleness and kindness that we are meant to speak truth, and only then does restoration happen. That word restore in Galatians 6 is a fun one. It's kartizo. Can you say that with me? Kartizo in Greek. And what it means is to mend something that is broken. So if in the first century I were to break my arm, They would reset it, and in resetting it so that it would heal, they are kartizoing my arm. The whole goal goal is healing of something that is broken, making it what it was always intended to be. That is the type of soul surgery that we are called to do on one another, the type of healing that brings something that is broken back together into wholeness. This isn't to say that when we offer truth to one another, it will always go well or it will always be easy. Often, when we speak truth to each other, there's a rocky, broken period where where feelings can be hurt. But growth can happen when we're willing to speak truth to one another. And a small incision of a little soul surgery often can be so much better than the long-term healing that we need. This can happen in in a holy way. This truth-telling can take place in ways that do bring about growth that allow us to submit to the Spirit of God. A few years ago, um, I was going into a new year of seminary, so my mom called me, and she asked what, I can be praying, what she could be praying for for me over the coming year. So I told her a few things, and I asked her what I could be praying for her about. And so she gave me a couple of things, but she said the biggest thing that was weighing on her heart was that she was leading a parachurch ministry, and she had been leading this ministry for a very long time. But this parachurch ministry was slowly starting to wane, and more and more of the leadership of it, the support of it, was being put on her shoulders, and she just didn't feel like she had many other people carrying it with her. She, at the same time, had women like young women, women of all ages really coming to her for mentorship and to lead Bible studies with them. And so she felt like her energy and her ministry was being split in two. So she was wanting discernment about when to step away from this parachurch ministry and wanted me to pray that God would give her clarity about when to do that and when the next leader needed to step in. So I told her I would. The year went by. We had another phone call. I asked her what I could be praying for. And she said, this year was really, really hard. It was the hardest year we've had in ministry. More was pulled away from me and put on my shoulders. I just don't have the support that I need. And I need discernment about when I need to step away and when a new leader should come in. At the same time, more women are coming to me, and I want to be able to care for them. The third year rolls around. I asked her, Mom, what can I be praying for? It was the same thing. Ministry got harder. She has more women wanting her attention and care. 
And in that moment, rather than just telling her that I would pray for her, I said, Mom, we've been praying about this for three years now. This, this isn't a new thing. And God hasn't not been listening. God has been listening throughout this entire thing. And what he's been showing us is that you are very alone in this. There's less and less support and more and more women are coming to you. And at some point, your clinging onto this will turn into disobedience. Because if God is giving you the truth and the clear path that, that you need to be caring for these women, you need to be able to devote yourself to them. And so at some point, you need to think about when you will say, goodbye to that ministry. Over the next few months, she gently said goodbye to that ministry. She stepped away from leadership of it, and she was able to invest herself fully into women's ministry. She had so many women in her Bible studies throughout the entire year, and she was watching these women's faith grow and spread out into their families, and it was incredible to watch. And you know what God did? He brought a leader for that parachurch ministry. In her stepping away, it created the space for someone else to be elevated and to lift up their gifts in a way that wouldn't have happened had she not stepped away. So she can now cheer them on and give them encouragement while not carrying it all on her own shoulders. This isn't easy stuff for us to do, but there are holy moments when we can speak truth in love to one another. And it's not easy to tell your mother that she's being disobedient, but sometimes the Holy Spirit calls us to speak these words. And I am convinced that if we get into this practice, if we create a safe community where we can do this, that our irresistible faith will shine to the world around us. Because as a community, we will become people who are coming exactly as we are, broken and hurting and not the way that God fully desires us to be. But we will show the world that we also aren't content to stay as we are. We know there are ways that we can grow and we can help each other grow along the way. That is an authentic, honest community that will shine the light of Christ to the world around us. And that is my prayer for us today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, it is a gift to be in a community that cares for one another, that can live life alongside one another, both in the great stuff and in the hard stuff. And so as you call us to be truth tellers and truth receivers, we pray that you would give us the humble boldness to speak the words that you call us to speak to one another and that you would remove the pride and the self-righteousness that can so easily inhibit our ability to receive truth. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts to the ways that you are guiding us and give us all that we need in order to live this irresistible faith that shines your love to the world around us. Amen. <laughs>